Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Al Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out, I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends, number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy, and of course, our guest, and number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Discord Q&A with myself and mr will yip will welcome hey man what's going on guys what's up yeah how are you brother good how are you doing doing good i'm i'm rocking man rocking just 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 track the song my energy's up my adrenaline's up i'm ready to party man awesome well thanks for being here and um thank you everybody for coming to hang out with us first question it's going to come to us from Joe Scaletta. I have just requested you to the stage. Awesome. Thank you, Will, for doing this. I'm, I'm actually really excited for this. Um, so my first question oh, yeah. is, someone like you, you've worked with a lot of different types of bands, different genres. How do you get your foot in the door of so many different types of music? Ooh, that's the that's a good question because I kind of um, first off, thanks thanks everyone, thanks Joe for joining us and being stoked to to chat with with me and Eyal. But yeah, you know that's a big part of, of what I what I do. Um, I always promote uh, to artists, to people, to anyone that will listen to me talk. I'm a song is paramount person. I always tell bands, I always tell artists, tell my friends. I'm, I'm not a sound guy. You know, growing up, you know, my interest was never in sound. Like that wasn't what I loved. That's not what I thought in love with music. I love music. I want to work in music. I want to play music and write music because I love songs. Song is paramount to me. So, you know, getting to work with, say, someone like Lauren Hill for five years, you know, um, she just trusted my taste in songs and in melody and in, you know, how to capture, uh, e- you know, even on the engineering side and production side, how do we capture it to really highlight the song? That's the same approach approach I take to a band like Code Orange or Turnstile, you know. So it's all about the song to me. I think, I think that's what, you know, the people that I end up connecting with, they they recognize and they find value in that. And yeah, that's it. I just, I really strongly promote that because um, I always tell artists when you come to Studio 4 and make a record with me, you're not getting a Studio 4 record. I don't care what people say, you know, <laughs> I don't care what, what, what the internet says but about what a Will record sounds like. Last time I checked, you know, there was a month where a Code Orange record came out, the same month that a Turnover record came out, that a Pedal record came out. And um, the only thing to have in common is that when you come to Studio 4, you're not coming for a certain sound. You're coming to have me join the band, join the artist to work on the songs and that that's what they share in commonality that you have another person joining your team to really kind of support the songs. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's why I get to work with a lot of different um, sounding artists, you know, cause um, you know, I, I'm not really a genre specific person. That's not, that's not my taste in music. That's not, I, you know, I don't listen to one type of music um, and hence I don't work in one type of music. You know, I, uh, I try to stay busy. Do you put that out there when you're booking artists to work with that uh, you want to be involved with the songs? Like for instance, if a band is just looking for someone to record them and not get involved with the songs, is that something you may not be as interested in? 
Yeah, 100%. You know, growing up, I, I love writing. I love playing in bands. I love making beats and, and doing, and I just love creating. But I always hated touring. I hated touring. I hated being in a band in terms of, uh, you know, spending a lot of time with, with the same people creating. I just want to create and create as many people as I as I can. And I and I always have that itch to generate new stuff and create new ideas and come up with melodies, come up with layers, come up with, you know, arrangements, compose things. And um, I just want to help. I just want to help people create. And if bands, um, you know, I'm lucky enough right now, fortunate to have a bunch of people that want to work with me. If there's an artist that wants my help on the song building and on the songwriting side versus a band that doesn't, I'm going to go to the songwriting side, not even for the royalties, not for the publishing, but because I love doing that. That's why I do this. And that's, you know, and that, and I, I outwardly say that uh, when we're going into a discussion about me possibly doing a record, I tell bands that I'm going to be pretty involved and I want to be pretty involved where I'm needed, you know, and I always tell them as well, I'm inherently lazy. So I want every song and every demo to come to me perfect. But, you know, it's just, that's not the case. You know, I'm picky, people are picky and I want to help. I want to make the songs the best that they can be. I want to turn over every stone. I want to try every melody idea. I want to try every uh, lyrical theme that inspires us. And that's why I get to grow with bands. You know, and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to feel like I'm in, I'm in a, like 40 bands, you know? So yeah. And it's just a little more fun for me. You know, I tell bands when, if they, if they're coming to me to grab it and capture it and, and just capture it and engineer and mix it, I'm not your guy. You know, I, 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 I we don't have that much joy in, in spending eight weeks just being an engineer um, and capturing performances. You know, I want to create, I want to make a new song every day. I think that that's actually really, really important for a producer to know what their strengths are and uh, what it is that they're the most interested in because I think that following that, I mean, obviously you can't always work on your favorite stuff, but you need to work on the stuff that inspires you because that's what will get you working the hardest, I think. Exactly, and that's why I I love every single thing I do because I love every single melody and every single idea that we we, we, we put on. And that's why it's, you know, what we do here is I think is a little above just a genre. You know what I mean? That's why we I can do a turnstile record one day and then do a, a you know, singer-songwriter uh, record the next day and then a Barty Strange hip-hop remix the next day is because I just love the song, man. And, and if I am happy with every second of every melody, every song, I'm going to have fun every day and every minute of every day just, just enjoying what I'm doing. Makes sense. All right. Next up, I'm bringing Stefan Molesky to the stage. So, Stefan. Hey, Stefan. Hey, hey, how is everybody? How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, so, I wanted to ask you, since you wear a lot of hats in the studio, what is your job today? What is your job as a producer in the studio? Since the term is Ugh. quite fluid. Yeah, that's a great question because I don't think a lot of people know. <laughs> and, and people have different expectations. It is a tough one, actually. Yeah, I know what my job is. You know, my job is to deliver the best record the artist can. From take it from where wherever it is and to deliver the best record they can at this point in time and whatever it takes. Uh, I work around the clock. I think everyone that knows me and knows my schedule is pretty kind of whacked. You know, I've taken songs, you know, I have artists, artists that I did six, seven records with, and you know, say the first record they came in and the ideas were pretty well flushed. And then I had ideas, I just Again, I just had ideas to change up the songs. Say, yo, why don't we try this melody? Why don't we try this? Yo, this isn't right. This isn't right. Can we just try things? That's all I want to do is try things. And then the next record, we co-write the whole record together from the jump. So it's like, you know, it's just whatever's going to get the record done. I tell people when we work, we're just going to show up to the studio and get to work and make music, whatever that means. You know, um, I'm working with a band right now. One of my, uh, I can't say who it is, but but one of my favorite bands to work with. And we had, we, we had a fun kind of exercise because... The last record, our favorite things were things that we built up from scratch in the studio together. So this time we're like, yo, let's let's not have any ideas coming in and spend 12 weeks just building new ideas and just starting from scratch because we're gonna all going to be excited. We're all going to be on the same page because every idea is going to get birthed together and we all trust each other. And I'm having time in my life and I'm working on another record with one of my best, some of my best friends. And they spent two years, you know, in lockdown 
writing, writing more than they've ever written. And they're very married to ideas. So now it's my goal to try to respect that, respect the work they put in, but still make sure every idea is as strong as possible and get it to the finish line. You know, so even though that one has no ideas and one has a lot of ideas, the lot of ideas in some ways is getting to the finish line a little tougher because we're married to things. So, you know, I think you said it, said it, said the best, you have to wear many hats and, and you have to pay respect to the artists and their work and the work they've already done coming in here. But my job is just deliver the best record I can and the best record that I think they have the capacity to make that we have the capacity to make. And um, yeah, and that's, that's my job, whatever that means, whatever that, that, that means we have to fucking fly to Portland to write with these two other dudes in Portland, you know, we'll, we'll fucking do that. Or if it's just to capture the best version of the demos that they brought in, if that is the best, if that is the best version of the record, then that's, that's what we're going to do. So that, I think that's job as a producer is just deliver the best record they can. Awesome. Okay. So we have a question from the crowd, which is how much of your workflow is analog over digital plugins? Like, do you strive to mix as you go, meaning try to get tones as close to final while tracking? I think it's a little bit of everything. So, I, you know, my mentor and then my partner now at the studio, you know, he's an old school guy. You know, he's, he's, he's uh, they call his production group, the Butcher Brothers. You know, they, they were in front of the, the mainstream hip hop stuff in the early 90s. And they're called Butcher Brothers. They slice tape all day. You know, they're, they're so great at it. And I learned, you know, my, my formative years as an engineer was with him and using a Neve 8048 and a Brown EQ SSL 4K and and a you know a you know two student machines rolling in every single room. So that was my background, and that's why I, I, at first I got a lot of cool you know punk bands because they wanted a place in this area to 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 do analog stuff when everyone was trying to hop over to Dig in the late '90s, early 2000s, and um, I like to think that I do whatever. Again, I'm going to go back to the song, song Paramount. I'm going to drive that to the ground, but I do whatever that the song calls for, you know, so, you know, there was one record where we wanted the band wanted to commit. They had such a hard time historically committing to things. And they're like, yo, wouldn't it be cool if we just did a record all of the tape, like not even just like analog outboard gear instead of plugins. Like we're saying all of the tape mixed on all analog stuff, drop down to half inch, send, send the half inch to the master. And just so that we, these songs, you know, these songs were so raw and so emotive. They're like, we just want to commit and not overthink things. This is going to like bound us so that we can commit. And that's what we did. And um, whereas most of the time, I think I, we just, I use everything. So, so from, you know, whatever a song calls for this, even an analog psych, uh, psycho panner, which literally just used for the first time in eight years. If it calls for that, we're like, if an artist is just inspired by something and just is chasing this idea, if it's a plugin that I think can solve it, I'm going to do that. If it's a piece of analog gear that's going to solve it, I'm going to do that. You know, like working with an artist like Lauren Hill and Jamie from Code Orange, those people push me. Those uh, those guys push me. You know, Brandon from Turnstile, Austin from Turnover, a lot of prolific artists that they have these visions and they just need help getting it sonically. And sometimes, a lot of times it involves a lot of analog stuff because they're, they're a bunch of old school guys and I'll reach for it. So I think being an engineer, you have to you have to be well versed in everything, man. It's your job as an engineer, as a producer, to know tools, to know tools, because you never know what artists are going to be inspired, what they're going to be inspired by, and it's just going to help you build. You know, I also want my gear to not hold me back. So I'm never going to be the one to reach for something and set up a student machine or set up, you know, a whatever, whatever, you know, just crazy chain be just because it's cool and hip to, to, to use. No, if, if the song calls for a certain sound and if a plugin get there faster, I just want to be able to keep creating and keep writing and keep laying down ideas. So whatever's going to get us there accurately, the quickest, that's what I'm going to use. But being well-versed in everything is very, is very handy because, um, you never know what, what the artist's going to want. Great answer. Okay. First up now is Diego Menchinger. Yo, what's up, guys? Hey, Diego, how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. So the big question I have for you, Will, um, I got into production like five, six years ago just because of uh, you listening to your records. Wow. Thank you, man. 
Um, Thank you. One thing that I've been chasing is something comparable to your drum tone. And I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through your workflow with that. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a that's that's some of my secrets, Diego. I got you though. I got you. I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid to share, uh, share secrets. I'm actually doing something with a very very cool company soon, kind of showing off my my drum sequence and and how I capture them and uh, um, what I use to to build my tones. You know, my friends notice about me, but uh, but but maybe not too many. You know, average listeners, uh, passive listeners. Uh, knows about me. I come from the hip hop background. I grew up with a love producing music because I love making beats and I love working in the hip hop uh, in the hip hop world. And my goal when I, when I was engineering rock records and punk records was, you know, I want my ears were so keen. My ears were so used to hearing hard ass samples. You know, obviously when you when you're mixing a hip hop record, make a hip hop record, those samples are already processed. They they. Bang! They already bang. Everything you grab is gonna is is processed and it's gonna slap. So my ears wanted that, right? You know what I mean? Making a record, so I push. Honestly, you can you can ask any drummer that I work with. I push drummers. I push drummers to hit. Um, uh, I forgot to answer this part of the uh, of, of the, qu- the last question, but I want to get it as close. I want to capture the performance sonically and performance wise as close as we possibly can to the finished take because you know I, it's just easier it's just more inspiring so i want people to hit and uh you can ask dan fang from turnstile who's one of my favorite rock drummers you know when, when we did our first record his hands were bleeding and you know i felt bad but you know we were getting the craziest rim shots you know we wanted these heavy heavy rim shots so a lot of the attack a lot of the bite that you hear is from the performer themselves, you know, and versus some other drummers that, you know, don't hit as hard. It literally just doesn't sound the same. So I think 80% of it comes from the actual drumming, from the actual drum, drum performances. And obviously not every single song should be hit as hard as possible. A turnover record drums should not sound like a turnstile uh, records uh, of drums. But I'm a big you know, believer in consistency, especially on rock records. You know, I want I want my guys to be consistent. I want things to be well voiced. It just makes the whole process easier. So instead of reaching for you know, trigger two and sampling it, you know, I'm trying to get it off the performance and off the room. And, um, you know, people always ask me, what mics do I use? You know, what pre's I use, what what's 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 your EQs? And dude, I my stuff is easy. Everybody walks into my room, they're like, oh shit, this is it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know the tools. You have to just know your tools. Once you know your tools, you can do anything with them. You know what I mean? I think I you know, when I was when I was in college, I all I found myself kind of sucking because I was trying out so many different things and I wasn't able to really understand everything that I was using. Mics, pre's, EQs. I I wasn't comfortable. You know, it's like a chef with their knife. You know what I mean? If you're not comfortable with your knife, you're not going to, you're not going to cook as well. You're not going to prep your food as well. You know, if you're comfortable, it doesn't matter what the knife is. You know, some of the most famous chefs I know use an 800 hour mic versus uh, a hundred-dollar knife versus, you know, some, some chefs, you know, some even home chef that spends $4,000 on a knife and don't know how to use their knife, you know? Um, and that, that's my thing. And you walk in straight up. I'll tell you, I have 57s on the snare. I have a beta 52 on the kick. I have 421s on the toms. I have Norman 184s on the overheads, and I have a ton of room mics, a bunch of stereo pair of room mics, and a col- and a, a pair of coals, a pair a, a pair of 84s on the rooms, a pair of 87s on the rooms. Um, nothing's crazy. I like it. Like you know, n- nothing's like out of this world. Like oh man, you're using this. You're using this twenty thousand dollars. This no, no. I just know this stuff. I, I've I've known these tools since I was 19 and obviously I tried other stuff, but these are things that I just felt were, you know, like another extension of my arm, extension of my ears. And it just makes grabbing this stuff easy and everything's going through, you know, my Neve 1081s that I've been using since I was 19. And I just know those preamps and know those EQs so well that I, I can, I feel like I can do anything with it. You know what I mean? So I think that's a big piece of advice that I can give any engineers, know your tools, have fun, obviously try out all the different stuff, but make sure, you know, the stuff that you're leaning on, you know what it does so that when you start 
writing, producing, building. You, you Oh, shit, you need this? You have a vision? Boom. You know the tools that you know what's in your toolbox, and, uh, and you just get it quick. But, yeah, my drums, there's not that much of a secret other than I try to get things as consistent as possible so that it's as malleable as as possible um just like in hip-hop right you know you always swap out a snare drum even the last mix so there's been records you know half my records i track the shells and the cymbals separate i know i know i know drummers drum nerds give me a lot of heat for it i'm a drummer people forget i'm a drummer i played drums for lauren hill for for a long time i played drums for my entire life but it gives you so much flexibility in your mixes say a snare still doesn't feel right uh, by the end of the mix if, you're, if you track the whole thing you're just going to lean on symbols and compression and gates to get that right you know if you track the whole if you track the whole shells you can even swap out the shells right and there's just edit and re-edit it to to the mix and you know you can squash the drums but not squash the symbols but but big piece of advice is it's definitely works better when you're a drummer tracking that way. Because <laughs> uh, I've seen a lot of guys that weren't too familiar with drum performances try to do that, and it's not the right mojo. Um, every time I do it, I edit it like a drummer. I don't edit it like somebody else, you know? So that's another little secret that I have on my drum stuff is I do a lot, a lot of things separate just so I have flexibility, like the way I have flexibility in a hip-hop track. Awesome. Great answer. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. Dylan Joseph, you're up next. What's up, Dylan? Uh, what do you think like the most effective strategy is for like releasing music these days? Like to do like a series of singles or like the EP or album or? Oh shit! I lo- I love this. I, you know, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but I work on two record labels, um, and it's something that I've been growing more and more passionate about. Um, I, I've I've never grown up. I never wanted to work on a label. I just want to work on songs. I actually hated the suit side, <laughs> um, but. Um, you know, in 2015, um, I kind of realized that I really wanted to be more involved on how we share music. And, you know, again, I'm pretty hands on if, you know, as people can tell, I'm very hands on with with our music in here. And I want I want people to consume it in the way that us uh, the artist and me, you know, just kind of designed it for them to consume it. Um, so label having a, uh, my own indie label and working on a subsidiary for uh, a major label was kind of like the right next step for me. Um, your question is a great question. Um, I think it's ever changing. Uh, we talk about this literally every week in A&R. So if you were asking me about a hip hop track right now, if you were asking me about a pop track, 
I probably would lean more right now on the smaller release, right? Because right now, everything's in playlisting. Everything is, is, is in digital, obviously, but everything, you know, outside of TikTok, which is a phenomenon on itself, but in your, you know, traditional uh, DSPs, everything is in playlisting. And if you release, just say you as a indie artist release 14 songs, right? And you roll out three singles. Most likely, the only songs that are going to get playlist looks are those three songs. But if you roll out singles at a time, here's a single, or here's two songs, here's another two songs, here's another two songs, obviously you're going to have a little more money in the, on the PR because you're going to spend, a, it's basically more of the rollout, more, more rolling out songs. You're going to have more opportunities on play, playlist looks. So someone rolling out 10 singles, now you have 10 shots to get on playlists versus rolling out a record with three to four singles and getting at most three to four looks for playlisting because it's rare unless you're a Lee Rodrigo or, you know, huge artist, they're not looking at your other songs or your records to play because they want to serve to them. These, these, these playlisting people want music served to them. It's not, you know, you know, they're not out searching for stuff. They're in bed with everyone. And everyone's coming to them saying, listen to this, put this on a playlist, put this on a playlist. So if you have more stabs at it, then you have a more chance for success of getting on this playlist and getting people to stream your shit. But honestly, that's been a growing thing with rock that has, is not as effective as it is with hip hop and pop, just because rock bands have yet to see a quick initial return on that where in hip-hop and pop is baked into the culture that's how people consume that music is in singles and it's playlists with rock how bands make money is selling fucking vinyl you know what i mean how most bands make money selling records because all the marketing goes into records but i do see that changing i like the idea again give you my secrets i like the idea of combinations you know what i mean of you know work a lot of artists where we roll out two or three songs at a time another song another song and then it was only the the last song that you know that a record was happening so you kind of get the best of everything that you get a, a bunch of playlist looks and you get a traditional record to sell for thirty dollars you know at, um at, at the end of the rollout awesome thank you for such a detailed answer hell yeah man. i hope I'm not talking too much man i know no, I know. this is what this is for is if there's any place where talking too much is good it would be here so yeah, yeah. i can i can go on bro i, I can talk I, I actually find the whole playlisting thing and the rollout process fascinating these days because it's so different it's so different than it used to be exactly my my answer is my answer is probably gonna be different a, a year from now you know but right now is this is the most effective way I've, I've seen this work you know well that's key actually that's what's really important here is that your answer would be different a year from now um i think where a lot of people go wrong is they have one period of time where they worked hard to understand how to release things. It could have been 10 years ago. It could have been three years ago, but there's a time period where they put their energy into that. And like most human behavior, people get stuck in, uh, in their routines, they're creatures of habit. And so while something like record release strategy, um, and tactics are this, uh, continually evolving thing, or is this continually evolving thing? Lots of people get stuck on whatever worked for them at one point in time. And that's, that's why it's so many people find it so tough. Uh, it's something that you need to keep on re-upping your knowledge on because it's constantly changing. Yeah, I feel that way with anything involving technology, obviously, and even on production side and stuff, you know, I've seen a lot of careers kind of come and go because they were not trying to evolve because they thought, you know, status quo, you know, that cannot happen in tech. Anything involving tech, if your attitude is status quo, you're going to, you're going to get rocked and, and, and you're going to be, you're going to end up fucking selling insurance. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. Especially releasing music is, yo, I never thought I'll see a day in rock music now that because of TikTok labels major labels are signing fucking songs like they're like we're like they're signing a song like they're investing they see you as a band in a song you're on side band and you blow up on tiktok they're signing just that song so because it's because they, they're that's just awesome. collecting assets right now and that's fucking cool <laughs> that's crazy it gives you flexibility but i never thought i'd see today so you know things are evolving and uh strategies your strategies should be evolving and uh um yeah yeah in the music world especially but in all creative worlds your mind should be open to changes because uh because you kind of have to be yeah, no, no way around it. Okay, Kiko Picasso, you're up next. I saw that you have a lot of repeat clients. 
um, yeah. seems like quite a bit more than usual. And so I'm curious if you find that, like, if you find the process changes when you're working with a band you've done five or six albums with, or if it feels like it's almost just easier to do something more consistent with the band when you've done five or six albums with them. Yeah. I'm not proud of too much, but I am I am very proud that um, other than one band, they kind of sucked, but other than one band, every <laughs> single artist I've worked with, I've I've done more than one records with one record with. And I'm very proud of that. That shows our relationship and our trust in each other. I never make the same record twice, even with the same artists. Not that we go out of our way to do like stupid things. I'm never a guy that says, yo, let's do something different. Let's do something different. No. When you're 18, when you're 16, the record you make at 16 and the record you make three years later in 19 and 20 are going to be different. Your taste is going to change. You know, so you as a producer forcing the same kind of, you know, forcing the same fucking structure of making a record on them while these people are trying to evolve that's why bands pass you and don't return to you you know uh i'll use the example of um title fight you know i've done four records for title fight the first record they had it all written out they didn't want they they barely wanted to produce it. they wanted to just fucking do it we did it live we did it all live um but it was a dig but we we're like let's just track live and we over our vocals we're like cool it's like no click the next record you're like yo let's spend a little more time on the songs so we did a song a day. We built up a song a day, really got into nitty gritty of it and fucking, you know, uh, it, it, and the next record was the tape record where we did everything to tape. It didn't, it never touched the computer until the songs were bounced down to iTunes because we wanted a different energy than the record before it because we were having such a hard time, uh, not hard time, but we were, we were slower on committing to things. We're like, yo, let's fucking commit quicker. Uh, uh, last record we did, you know, we had demos already and, you know, Shane was just like, yo, this, we already did this before. Like the songs felt too familiar to him. We already have 14 songs. We literally, other than two songs, threw them in the trash. And we said, how about we just write a new record right now? So we literally just wrote a record, which we never, we've never done before. So, you know, you know, my thing is, again, I'm joining the band. So to me, there's no process rubric that I follow. I have tools, obviously, that I, I, I go to when we decide what the plan is. But, you know, I'm working on a band that is my six or seventh record with. And we had a, a, a really deep conversation. They're like, Will, you've been a, a part of the process since the jump. We want to use you. It's like a real thing, but we don't want to make the same record again. We're changing. You're changing. But we do want the process to be even more different but we trust you that it would be more different. What can we do? It wasn't like, it was like a question of like, they were testing me. It was just like, we were having a trusted adult conversation of like, we want to keep this team intact, but we have to get creative on how we make this different. And we completely flipped it up, you know, you know, cause I know what they're listening to. I know what they're referencing. I'm like, how did those people make records? You know, and I started getting to go into that deep dive. So I'm never not going to be a student of the game, right? I'm never, you know, when bands give me references, they want they, uh, they want to kind of feel like this, but like this part feel like this. It could be two, two opposite things. I'm trying to collect all of that and give them the experience that they want. That is why I get repeat stuff because I'm growing with them. I'm a part of their process. They're not a part of mine. And I just happen to have the tools and resources to make a record. So, you know, I'm just growing with them, you know, uh, justice from Angel Dust and Trap Under Ice, one of my one of my best compliments that I could ever have. It got back to me said from another artist. You know, he said he would tell, you know, he's kind of like the hardcore OG. So he would tell all of his friends to say, always use a different producer just to change things up and get inspired, you know, and because you're going to get stuck with the same producer except for Will. And, and, and when he said that, I was like, damn, that's fucking cool because I'm willing to grow with them. And that's why even with your turnovers, even with your turnstiles, even with your title fights, that I have a bunch of records with every record is pretty fucking different, you know, from each other, from the last. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I get to grow with this band, you know, you know, and I, I never expect to do the next turnover record. I never expect to do the next whatever record, you know, but it's, it's pretty awesome when I do get that call. I love your answer to that. It kind of relates back to what we're talking about before, about people kind of getting stuck in their ways. When it comes to the music promotion, I think that lots of producers get stuck in their ways, which artists get sick of that and want to move on. But where you see very successful long-term collaborations is when both the artist and the producer independently of each other 
are committed to constant, never-ending improvement and evolution, and they're on the same page about always taking things further. Those tend to be really good long-term artist-producer relationships, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right, next up, Stefan Molesky. Well, since you have a, a record label, I'd like to ask you uh, if you know why American record labels are uh, trepidatious to work with producers from Europe when it's an American artist. I do a lot of hip-hop, and I know quite a few producers who have gotten their music to artists, yeah. and artists would love the songs, would record on the songs, but when it comes time to the uh, to releasing the album, those songs mysteriously get chopped off for American producers. Do you know a logistical reason why that would be? I, I can guess. I don't think there's an actual... There's no actual beef. You know, I, 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 you know, some of my favorite artists, producers, and writers in the world are are European. Yeah, seriously, it would be a dream of mine to work with them. You know, and to sign tracks and to uh, place place their tracks. It would, it would be an honor. I really can't speak for any of those situations. You know, um, I can see it getting hairy on you know the writing and the publishing side, but you know, all those producers would have their, sh- I'm, especially large ones, would have their shit set up. You know, you know, set up so everything should be smooth too. You know, on the on the uh, writing side and the, and the publishing side, I can't see that. If you ask me, if signing, if American labels signing European artists was the thing, I can I can have an answer for you there. But in terms of the actual music, that doesn't really make sense to me because all the infrastructure is there um, for for the paperwork logistically to get taken care of on you know um i really can't speak for that because because I, I i don't i don't really believe in that you know, I, you know i'm sure you're 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 just correct but i mean i don't i i me and the people i work with we work with you know european producers and writers pretty often and i want to continue that and work with the best and even more uh, uh writers and, and producers i have a hard time believing that's a real thing and not because people are good people or open-minded or anything like that, but because the music industry is like the most capitalistic opportunistic industry you can think of besides maybe Hollywood or something like people are in music. I mean, yes, sure. People are in it because they love it, but on the business level, people are in it to make money and they are going to work with people that are going to make them money. And that is at the end of the day, what it comes down to. And so people don't get passed over for reasons like you from another country. If people think they could make money off of that collaboration, you better believe they're going to figure out a way to make that collaboration happen. Like if there's anything, the music industry is all about is figuring out how to make money. And they're not going to let something like a border or a time zone get in the way of that. So I'm not trying to say that like you're wrong, but you're wrong. Yeah. I recently, um, you know, with, uh, with Warner, we had an artist and it's kind of completely the opposite, uh, of where, uh, of where he's saying, uh, Stefan, um, the, our A&R was like, you have to let this guy, it was actually from fucking uh, from South Africa. <laughs> it was like, you have to let this guy remix this song, you know, because he's the biggest thing in South Africa. And I was like, bet, let's, let's do it. So it was actually kind of kind of the opposite. Um, I, yeah, I actually don't know why, because everything's already set up. Like there's there's no there's no legwork that they'll have to do more of. If it fits right, it, it, sh- it should work. Yes, look at other things besides I'm European, so I didn't make it. Like that's a... That to me seems like not wanting to look at the truth. Now, I'm not saying that the work is bad or anything like that, but got to be honest with yourself about why you would get passed up. And I know that, hey, look, in the past when I've been kicked off a record, well, not kicked off, but like not hired back, it was very easy for me to think to myself, oh, they're just fucking assholes or something instead of like realizing I wasn't the right fit, which... I then eventually realized it was never because they're assholes. It was always because we were not a good fit. I was not the right person for the project. And it's a bitter pill to swallow, but probably the truth. All right. Up next, Jeff Black. Hey, hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, what's up, Jeff? Hey, guys. Thanks for doing this. So when I work with artists, earlier you were saying that you like to push your artists uh, to the, you know, to get the most out of them. And I feel like a problem that I struggle with when I work face to face with artists is um, I tend to 
always default to handling them with kid gloves and I'm almost like too nice and I'm just having a bit of trouble kind of grabbing the moment a little bit more and knowing when to push someone and how far. And I was wondering if you have any advice on just sort of reading an artist and knowing when to uh, just kind of take the bull by the horns and be more assertive. It's such a tough thing, right? It's like it's like asking how do you be a, a fucking psychologist, right? You know what I mean? How it, it's the biggest thing about being a producer in a room, especially when you're grabbing the record, even outside of writing and outside of whatever. But when you're actually working and building the record, it's all relationships. It's all communication. Number one, number one, number one, respect. Have fucking respect for the artist. Have respect for each other. And if everything comes from a place of respect and validity and, you know, where what you're saying to them is come from a real, earnest, well-thought-out place, you know, I always find find that to work. I tell, you know, I, I push people, but it always comes from a place of not, it's not like a dickhead. I know everyone in this chat has worked with an engineer that's a dickhead. <laughs> and you guys know what I mean. They, you know, oh, they, yes. you know, they, yeah, their patience, you know, it, um, wears thin by the end of the day, you know, um, or whatever. And they're just, you know, stubborn or whatever. Like, yo, yo, we should feel lucky, man. We should feel lucky we, we get to make music with dope artists or not dope artists. You know, we get we, we should be lucky we get to make music every day. You know what I mean? Um, everyone should. The the artists themselves, the, the producers, you know, why you know, why be a dick ever in a room, you know, and be someone that people like having around. And if that's the case, then people will listen to you and trust you and trust your taste. I tell, you know, I tell bands. I tell bands when they come in, I literally have a book of notes of like my my thoughts on demos or ideas. And I always tell bands like, yo, everyone's worked with that producer that just starts saying shit like, oh, yeah, yo, try this, try this. When you can tell it, he just thought of it on the fly and he's just saying things to say things to get his hands on it. And it's like, no, man, that's every idea I have is one idea of 20 ideas that I'm not bringing to you because I think these are the most valid ideas. And I respect your work that you've put into these songs already. And, um, and, and, you know, cause again, I'm going, I'm going to produce like 14 more records this year. This band is lucky to do six records in their career. Producers have to realize that these records mean a lot to artists. So you have to do everything you can to respect the songs, respect the artists while getting the best out of them. So another thing is, when they come in and you see them play, I highly recommend, highly recommend before working with artists, see them play. Even if, if it's if as a solo artist, just singing, if, if it's uh, if it's a band, if it's whatever, see them play so you, someone that's a professional in in music, can really diagnose for yourself what you think you can get out of them. And that's my thing. If if we're going to, you know, I'm sure a bit of your question sounds like is is about getting takes as well. You know, outside of like the core of the song, you know, there's certain drummers that I work with that are just not going to play like Dan Fang, even the same genre, Dan Fang from Turnstile. They are just, you know, they just don't have those years. They just don't have those chops. I have to set my expectations at a certain level and get the best that that person can do, not something that doesn't exist. And then it's my job to capture in a way that I can mold that to the performance that I want, you know, to the result that I want. So um, you really have to assess what you're working with from the songs on the songwriting side and to the performers. You have to, before working with, with them, as you're working with them, assess what you can get out and really dig into what more do you need and how you're going to get it to to get the product that you're going to need get to get the end result you're going to need but in terms of working with people again i cannot stress enough you know um have respect because the more respect you have is the more respect they're going to give you back and the more trust they're going to give you and when that happens then you're going to get a lot more of your ideas across without rubbing any anyone wrong i agree with everything you just said i think that was right on the money because this is all about relationships and communication and respect you need to be thinking about what's going on even when you're not, you know, dealing with a musical issue because how you relate all day long to each other is going to play a factor, a significant factor in whether or not musical ideas are taken or you're taken seriously when, you know, you want more takes or whatnot. You have to look at the big picture of how you're interacting. And something I've noticed that 
producers do that. Producers that are afraid to say things, that's a bad thing. You need to find a way to be comfortable enough to be honest. Well, honest in the way that suits the session best. And the reason I'm saying that is because if, for instance, your boundaries are crossed and you don't say anything, and then you let an entire session go on weeks and weeks and weeks and you don't establish your boundaries so you're getting more frustrated with it. And then three weeks in, you have a bad day and you're a dick and they don't know where it's coming from because, uh, you know, you've been fine, 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 fine till then and then suddenly explode on them or are a dick. I I've seen this lots of times. It's better to establish the boundaries up front in a respectful way and keep that going. Keep that going the throughout so that frustration doesn't build up and you have the type of environment where things can be talked about and can be communicated. So I actually think it's a really bad habit to uh, not say things. Um, I'm not saying just blurt out anything that's on your mind with no filter and no thought. Like you need to approach people respectfully and thoughtfully, but to not say things when they need to be said is a huge, huge mistake. So you got to learn how to do it. All right. James Kirsch. So, all right. His question is, will, will you please tell us about what you use on the snare for the Great Dismal, particularly on Say Less? Anything special? Did you use the special custom kit you have? Um, yes. Yes. So I love everything, but I am obsessed with drums, grew up with drums, and um, I bought into a drum company. So I'm a part owner of uh, my favorite custom drum company called Blackwood Drums. And... Um, on on that record, on most of my records, I'm using a seamless aluminum kit. Again, people get weirded out by that, but uh, that brand Q Drums, they're making a lot of metal kits, but they're they're sheets of metal that kind of kind of folded into a circle and riveted. Our shit, you know, we work with this company in Turkey that makes molds, that makes custom molds, and they spin drums so that the shells are perfect circles you know they make a perfect circle and you can't get them out of tune and aluminum you know it actually produces a very similar sound to wood you know i just got a new copper kit a seamless copper kit that does not that sounds like a metal kit but the aluminum sounds like the most in tune maple kit you've ever heard and uh we use we use that on that entire record and a seamless six and a half by 14 brass snare again that record See, no one can tell. That record, we tracked everything separate. We tracked shells and cymbals separate. And, it's, and in a lot of songs, we tracked the, the elements separate. Like, we tracked snare and kick and cymbals separate. Um, just to fuck with it, there's a bunch of songs that record that we want to feel loopy and we want to have control. And then we didn't want to sound like a loop, but we want to control it like a loop so that we want the hi-hat to have this, like, reverse thing, but not the rest of the cymbals, you know what I mean? Or, you know, like, like that song, that snare, it, you know, I forget what I put on it, but it was something pretty basic at the end all be all. Uh, it was just like a decapitator just punished up and, uh, and slammed through a pair of Lem 76s. That was it, you know, then and SM57 on it um, with the overheads on. It. That was the only thing that was capturing that snare. It was, it was, it was a uh, 57 on top and bottom. The overhead just squashed through Lem 76s through it with a decapitator kind of crushed through on it. Um, just worked along with the other tracks. So, yeah, again, you know, my when. Nikki, the singer, had a very specific vision for that song, and my goal is just to understand it and know my tools, and for us, to, for me, to just use my resources, collect my resources, and just get us there quick, quickly. And we got there pretty quick. It was a pretty instantaneous thing. Um, and what's funny was that people think that it takes forever to track separately. Not with me, because when we do whole takes. It's a lot harder to hit hard when you're worrying about your right hand playing cymbals too. Um, so uh, it, without having to worry about cymbals, we're smashing the grooves on, on, on the shells. And we actually got a lot of that, that record drums on pretty quickly. I don't think any song took us more than like 45 minutes to get the drums. Whereas the record before, wow. um, yeah, the record before we spent close to a day on a song every single every single song sometimes even more um and i think the new record sounds a lot better and in some ways even more natural because of it because it was such early takes there was such like the first or second or third takes that that we got the shells because we, we got that natural fresh groove awesome all right time for one more this is going to be from sean o'shaughnessy sean hey what's up sean earlier we talked about how involved you are in some of the songwriting processes and i know a lot of these artists you work with already have their songwriting chops down and you have your songwriting chops down but is there ever a time where you find like a song just isn't coming to fruition and what ways 
do you get over that hump? Do you just like abandon that song or is there some like method you use to help reach a song's conclusion or like get the song yeah, out? That's a great question. If there's not something in the song that I find redeeming, like there's not one melody or a lyrical theme or a feel of, of instrumental or instrumental that inspires a dope melody, you know what I mean? I'll just move on. You know, I'll just move on to another song or just write a, write a, write a song with them from the jump, write a new idea from the jump. Um, luckily, that's usually not the case because um, I'm very lucky to get to work with very, very great artists. But there's certain times, you know, it happened recently where a really talented artist, but she she has, she has had a bunch of ideas. She had, came with like 21 ideas, and our goal was to get 10 of them. So, of course, we're not going to use everything. But we end up only using like six of them. We built the rest because we, we, so we took a song, and I was like, yo, I only really love the verse melody. I like the chorus music, but I hear another melody. So we will workshop that out, and then we start liking that shit more. And we're like, yo, what if we just wrote some more songs together? And the, and the record took us there. So I think as, as long, I don't think there's a rule of thumb that I go by. What makes me stoked? You know what I mean? It, 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 and if if no part of the song inspires me or makes me stoked, I'm not going to worry about saving it. You know, or if it doesn't lead to me going to a different part or picking up a guitar and say, oh, actually, let's try this instead of this chorus. And then we rewrite everything else. That has happened too. So there's no really rule of thumb. It's just, you know, trusting my ear and trusting my feel. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that when I'm in a room with other talented people, that when I say, yo, guys, I'm not feeling any part of this song. You know, everyone in the room, you know, there's going to be some agreement in the room and they're going to trust me. If it's not making me stoked, there's a good chance it's not making other people stoked. I feel that with the other people in the room. I trust the singer. I trust the, the primary songwriter in the band. It's like, if they don't like the song, then, you know, maybe a lot of people probably won't like the song as well. So I think there has to be redeeming qualities and you, you find those. You find those, you find the parts that inspire you because this again, we're going to, well, end q and I mean, I'm down to talk whatever, but uh, in theme, it's all about the fucking song. The song is paramount and if no parts are redeeming or no parts inspire you move on to something else or if that's the egg for something else you know i just we, we just wrote a song so we, we did it the last few days wrapped it up this morning and the, the first version was a completely different thing but if that first version didn't happen we wouldn't have got here we got this completely different version you know i had a really good conversation with frank Ayero, and he said something that really really resonated with me you know he does a lot of material he, he does so many different projects and he's like we had this conversation about fucking he wants to just keep putting out music not even for people to like it he just want people to do something with it if you love it and it inspires you to make music that's cool if you hate it and it inspires you to make music that sounds nothing like it that's just as cool he just wants to inspire people and that really stuck with me i've <laughs> me personally i want everyone to love my shit but i just want to inspire people and as long as the song so parts songs are inspiring to me I i'm gonna dig in awesome well will Thank you so much for hanging out, man. It's been a total pleasure. And uh, thanks all of you for hanging out with us and asking great questions. And uh, see you all next time. Yeah, this is great. Thank you, guys. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at Audio at URM Academy, and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right then, till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.